welcome to the Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Tudor, Certified Lifestyle Medicine Practitioner. My aim is to help everyday people understand science, not the science, and to use that understanding to make better choices for their health and well-being. Each episode, I'll be bringing my latest Substack post to you in audio form. For the full visual experience, including graphs, charts, images, and videos, view the accompanying post in my Empowered Substack. And now, let's dive in. Episode 43, The Great Osteoporosis Scan Bone mineral density, or BMD scanning, using dual energy X-ray absorptiometry, DXA, commonly referred to as DEXA scanning, is big business. Around the world, hundreds of millions of older women, and many men too, on the basis of their scan results, are prescribed potent drugs including bisphosphonates like Fosamax, Actinel and Reclast, and monoclonal antibodies like Prolia and Avenity that come with a laundry list of adverse effects. But bone density testing has been repeatedly demonstrated to be next to useless at predicting an individual's risk of fracture. Here's what the British Columbia Office of Health Technology Assessment had to say in their review of the evidence for the effectiveness of bone mineral density testing. Quote, Research evidence does not support either whole population or selective bone mineral density, BMD testing, of well women at or near menopause as a means to predict future fractures, end of quote. The Swedish Council on Technology Assessment in Healthcare reached the same conclusion. Quote, there is no scientific evidence to support the use of bone density measurement as a screening method in healthy middle-aged individuals, end of quote. The UK's National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, which they abbreviate NICE, which is terribly British, recommends against routine measurement of bone mineral density for screening purposes. Instead, NICE recommends that practitioners, quote, consider referring for BMD measurement with DXA, end of quote, only after a clinical risk factor assessment tool, either FRAX or Q-fracture, has indicated heightened risk of fracture. NICE points out that, quote, Currently, there are no definitive studies in primary or secondary care evaluating whether the addition of BMD to FRAX improves the accuracy of the predicted fracture risk, end of quote. But in the face of widespread scientific agreement that BMD scanning is not an effective screening tool, that is, a tool for assessing the future risk of fractures in a person who has not yet had a low trauma fracture, which is breaking a bone in circumstances where it wouldn't be expected to break, it is still heavily promoted. Most of my postmenopausal clients, no matter how fit, strong and active they are, and despite never having had a low trauma fracture, have been urged by their doctors to have a baseline BMD scan. This use of BMD scanning is exactly what all the government bodies quoted previously advise against, screening of healthy, asymptomatic individuals. As a result of this initial scan, a number of my clients have been told they have osteopenia, are at increased risk of bone fracture in the future, and should immediately start taking calcium pills and consider taking bisphosphonate drugs or monoclonal antibodies. I have taken many calls from clients who previously thought of themselves as healthy and strong and are now in tears as they describe how the doctor told them they had the bones of a 70-year-old and could end up stooped over from vertebral fractures or breaking a hip just by stepping off the curb. After this devastating news, these women are often afraid to take part in vigorous activity, when the scientific evidence shows that is exactly what they should keep on doing, or start doing, in order to maintain strong bones and avoid fracture. Let's explore the myths that make up the great osteoporosis scam. Myth number one, osteoporosis equals low bone mineral density. 
Fact, in the past, osteoporosis was defined as, quote, an enlargement of the spaces of bone, the haversion canals, whereby a porous appearance is produced, end of quote. Only a person who had already suffered a low trauma fracture was diagnosed with osteoporosis, that is, it was a disease with definite symptoms. The invention and proliferation of dual X-ray absorptiometry, or, or DXA machines, which allowed doctors to measure the density of mineral content in their patients' bones, completely changed the definition of osteoporosis. Now osteoporosis is a condition, usually without any symptoms whatsoever, defined with reference to the bone mineral content of an average, healthy 25-year-old white woman. A person whose bone mineral density is more than 2.5 standard deviations, which is a statistical measure of variance, below this average person is said to have osteoporosis, while being between 1 and 2.5 standard deviations below that average earns you a diagnosis of osteopenia. It is important to realise that DXA scans do not detect the enlarged spaces in bone that characterise osteoporosis. They merely measure your bone mineral density and compare it to a norm based on a 25-year-old white woman. This leads on to myth number two. Myth number two, the reference standards for osteoporosis and osteopenia are based on good science. Fact. The diagnostic standards were arbitrarily set by a World Health Organization working party with significant conflicts of interest. The WHO Working Party convened in Rome in 1992. A fascinating program made by US National Public Radio describes the completely unscientific process that they used to set the diagnostic criteria for osteoporosis. The meeting took place in uh, Rome, Italy at a hotel near the top of the Spanish Steps. This is Anna Tostason, professor of medicine at Dartmouth College. In 1992, Tostason was one of a small group of experts on osteoporosis invited to Rome for a meeting organized by the World Health Organization, one focus of which was a definition for osteoporosis. You see, for a long time, doctors were only able to diagnose osteoporosis after a woman got a fracture. But bone scanning machines had made it possible to figure out if bones were weak before fractures occurred. The question before the experts then was this. Since after the age of 30, all bones lose density, how much bone loss was normal and how much put women at risk and so should be categorized as a disease? Anna Tostason says the experts in the room went back and forth looking at research and trying to decide where on a graph of diminishing bone loss to draw the line. Ultimately, it was just a matter of, well, it has to be drawn somewhere. And as I recall, it was very hot in the meeting room, <laughs> and people were kind of in shirt sleeves, and it, it was time to kind of move on, if you will. And I can't quite frankly remember who it was who stood up and drew the picture and said, well, let's just do this. So a line is drawn, and every woman on one side had osteoporosis. But what about the women just on the other side of that line? Well, for that group, the experts, more or less off the cuff, decided to use the term osteopenia. Anna Tostason told me that they created the category mostly because they thought it might be useful for public health researchers who like clear categories for their studies. They never imagined, she said, that people would come to think of osteopenia as a condition to be treated, though she does admit that the term sounds a little forbidding. Osteopenia sounds like something that, you know, you're medicalizing this problem. Low bone mass sounds a little bit less scary. The NPR article noted that John Canis of the WHO Collaborating Center for Metabolic Bone Diseases gave the same account of the meeting in Rome. 
As the NPR piece makes clear, the push to redefine osteoporosis by reference to DXA measurements of bone mineral density emerged from an unholy alliance between the pharmaceutical industry and the makers of DXA scanning equipment. Specifically, Merck, the manufacturers of Fosamax, an osteoporosis drug that was selling poorly due to the low numbers of people diagnosed with osteoporosis, established a non-profit, the Bone Measurement Institute, which successfully lobbied for insurance coverage of bone mineral density testing. Once DXA scanners became profitable, diagnoses of osteoporosis and osteopenia skyrocketed, and Fosamax went from a fizzer to a blockbuster drug. Additionally, the WHO study group was partially funded by three major drug companies which produced drugs to treat osteoporosis. Obviously, it was in their interests to define osteopenia and osteoporosis in such a way that eventually the majority of women and a significant proportion of men would fit the diagnosis. The reference standard of the average healthy 25-year-old does not take into account either build. People with a smaller build quite naturally have lower bone mineral density, and this does not increase their risk of fracture. Or race. There are dramatic differences in average bone mass between ethnic groups. For example, a study of Hawaiian, Filipino, Japanese and Caucasian women found there was significant variance between different ethnicities. Notably, there was also 50 to 100% variance in bone mass in individuals within all four ethnic groups. Myth number three, if you have low bone mineral density, you are automatically at increased risk of fracture. Fact, bone mineral density is a poor predictor of fracture risk with both low sensitivity and low specificity. In a blistering critique of the widespread use of DXA scanning, S. Paws Nielsen of the Department of Clinical Physiology and Nuclear Medicine at Hillerud Hospital, Denmark, crisply summarised the key limitations of this technology and the T-scores based on it, which are used to guide recommendations for prescription of osteoporosis drugs. Quote, BMD is not an ideal measure of true bone density. It is not an ideal measure of bone strength. It does not predict fractures well, and it has inherent problems of accuracy. The limitations of BMD, based on the physical deficiencies of DXA, are further obscured by the introduction of T-scores, end of quote. Many low-impact fractures occur in people with normal or high bone mineral density, while many people with low bone mineral density will never suffer a fracture. Quote, BMD measurements are poor predictors of whether individual women will suffer future fractures. In fact, most women will be misclassified if they are sorted according to BMD scores. Regardless of the threshold chosen, most women who will suffer a hip fracture, the most consequential fracture, will be classified as normal when compared to the mean, that is the average, BMD of women the same age. If women more than one standard deviation below the mean are classified as being at increased risk of fractures, then 70% of the women who will eventually suffer fractures will not come from the group identified as being at risk. At the same time, only half of the 30% of women labelled as being at increased risk will have a fracture. The other half will receive unnecessary treatment. Selecting women below two standard deviations will not solve the problem. 87% of fractures will be missed and 5% of those selected will not suffer fractures. End of quote. And that quote was from the British Columbia Office of Health Technology Assessment report titled Does Evidence Support the Selective Use of Bone Mineral Density Testing in Well Women? Reduced bone mineral density is just one risk factor for low trauma bone fracture. The undeniable fact is that most people who suffer such fractures have multiple risk factors for poor bone health and or heightened risk of falling, 
including being elderly over 85, being inactive, which reduces muscle strength, balance and coordination, thus increasing the risk of falling, suffering from dementia or Parkinson's disease, which also affect balance and coordination, suffering from cancer, chronic liver disease or diseases that cause malabsorption, smoking cigarettes, drinking alcohol regularly, taking medications that affect balance, coordination or alertness, such as sleeping pills and anticonvulsants, or that impair bone health, such as antidepressants, proton pump inhibitors and glucocorticoids, and or having failing vision, which increases the risk of tripping. The risk assessment tools that NICE recommends, that is FRAX and QFracture, take these factors into account. Myth number four, a high intake of calcium, especially from dairy products, prevents osteoporosis. Fact, there is no reliable evidence for the dairy industry's claim that consuming dairy products is good for your bones. In a 2020 systematic review and meta-analysis, cohort studies, which are considered the strongest form of epidemiological study design, did not find any protective effect of milk and dairy intake on risk of osteoporosis and hip fracture, while, quote, every additional 200 gram milk intake per day was associated with a 9% greater risk of hip fracture, end of quote. Previous meta-analyses have reported similar findings, no evidence of protective effects of milk consumption and no link between low milk consumption and hip fracture risk. As for calcium, a meta-analysis of multiple large cohort studies and randomised clinical trials found that calcium intake does not affect fracture risk in either women or men, calcium supplementation does not reduce fracture risk and calcium supplementation without vitamin D may actually increase hip fracture risk. Okay, so that's the industry-sponsored myths dispatched with. Now for the most important part, how to keep your bones strong and healthy for life. Number one, exercise regularly. When you do any kind of physical activity that puts some stress on your bones, cells within the bones sense this stress and respond by making the bones stronger and denser. Such weight-bearing exercise, including walking, dancing, jogging, weightlifting, stair climbing and racket sports, causes the bones to retain density and resistance to fractures throughout life. You need a variety of exercises or activities that put stress on different parts of the body to keep all your bones healthy. Exercise also increases muscle strength and coordination, helping to maintain balance and avoid falls. Number two, optimize your vitamin D level. Vitamin D has long been known to be a crucial factor in bone health, both promoting intestinal absorption of dietary calcium and preventing parathyroid hormone-induced breakdown of bone. A meta-analysis of 11 observational studies involving over 39,000 participants found that for each increase of 10 nanograms per mil, which is 25 nanomoles per litre in the units that we use here in Australia, in serum vitamin D concentration, the relative risk of any fracture was reduced by 7% and the risk of hip fracture by 20%. But while low-dose vitamin D supplements are probably ineffective for fracture prevention, high-dose supplements may be outright harmful. Quote, high vitamin D doses, either at monthly 60,000 to 100,000 IUs or daily intervals greater than 4,000 IUs, appear to be harmful with regards to falls, fracture risk and bone mineral density, especially for people without vitamin D deficiency and at low fracture risk, end of quote. That quote was from a study called Vitamin D Supplementation and Fracture Risk, Evidence for a U-Shaped Effect. The best way to secure an optimal vitamin D level is from judicious sunlight exposure, just the way nature intended. Getting sunlight on our skin produces a host of photoproducts besides vitamin D production, including 
nitric oxide, which has beneficial effects on cardiovascular function, serotonin, a neurotransmitter involved in mood, cognition, regulation of eating behaviour, anxiety, aggression, pain, sexual activity and sleep, endorphins, which induce mood enhancement and relaxation, reduce depression and provide pain relief, and melatonin, which regulates circadian rhythm and also has potent antioxidant properties. The Vitamin D Society has useful tips on getting a safe amount of sunlight exposure without risking harmful sunburn, and I've linked to this in the post accompanying this podcast episode. The D-Minder app takes this to the next level, giving customized recommendations for safe sun exposure based on latitude, time of year, skin type, age, weight, and other factors that influence vitamin D production. And thirdly, get adequate vitamin K. Vitamin K, which is found mainly in green leafy vegetables, contributes significantly to calcium regulation and bone formation. The Nurses' Health study found that women who ate more green leafy vegetables, even lettuce, had a 70% lower risk of hip fracture than those with the lowest intake of vitamin K-rich foods. Low blood levels of vitamin K have consistently been found to correlate with increased risk of fracture in different populations. On the other hand, supplementation trials have yielded mixed results. So at this stage, I recommend getting your vitamin K from food rather than pills. So there you have it. Maintaining healthy bones for life largely comes down to diet and lifestyle choices that are in your hands and in your feet if you can't exercise. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and on your socials and make sure you subscribe to my Empowered Substack so you never miss a post.